I'm Glenn Robinson, and I've spent the last 30 years as a healthcare leader and overseeing large organizations. And before that, I was in the news business. And I'm Jacob Robinson, his son. I've spent the last five years building a business and learning lessons of leadership along the way. And this is our podcast, Chasing What Matters. On this podcast, we're going to interview leaders from all walks of life and hear their stories of successes and failures and what has made them become who they are today and how their faith and families played a role in their lives and leadership styles. During these interviews, we will be discussing things from business to politics, healthcare to nonprofit, and anything in between to find out how these leaders are chasing what matters in their work and personal life. So welcome to another episode of Chasing What Matters. Welcome to another episode of the Chasing What Matters podcast. I'm your co-host, Glenn Robinson. And I'm your other co-host, Jacob Robinson. And uh, Dad, before we dive into the interview today, why don't we take a couple minutes and just kind of catch up and see what's been going on in each other's lives. And I know you and mom just got back from a, a really cool trip, uh, getting to enjoy retirement finally. So why don't, why don't we uh, tell our listeners a little bit about where y'all got to go? You bet. Uh, yeah, Rhonda and I, uh, it was a bucket list checkoff uh, trip. It was just great. And it started and ended uh, the, a very special way because it began and ended with friends. We have some dear friends that live uh, up in Steamboat, Colorado, and they had been inviting us up and they had been quarantining and uh, said, hey, you guys have been quarantining and uh, why don't you all take off? And so we got in the car and uh, we took off to Colorado. And then after that, uh, we drove down to the eastern side of Utah, to Moab, Utah, and saw the Arches National Park. And then uh, the next day, we drove to the Grand Canyon and spent the night there, and uh, just an amazing trip. And then on the way back, um, we stopped at some friends who have just purchased a place in Rio Dosa, New Mexico, and invited us to come and uh, visit with them. And so just a, just a great trip. I will tell our listeners, uh, this is just my opinion, but I, I, I'm far from seeing all the national parks, but uh, Acadia in Maine and the Arches in Utah are just amazing. Make sure they're on your list. Yeah, that's awesome. The uh, The pictures were, were fantastic. And like we've uh, always said before, it's great having friends with great places. <laughs> that's exactly right. And speaking of great pictures, you sent me some last night of something that looked just delicious that you were pulling off your big green egg. Yeah. So during quarantine, I have doubled down on this hobby thing uh, and finally purchased a, a big green egg to where I could um, try to perfect the art of barbecuing. And so now we're down. We've gotten ribs done. We've gotten a, a pork shoulder done. Uh, and la or yesterday I attempted uh, the first brisket on there and, and it was it was very good. I'll, I'll, I'll give myself uh, some credit there. It was good. I'm not uh, we've got some tweaks to make on it. But uh, as as Melissa said, hey, listen, this is a year's worth a process here. So this is not uh, something I've got to perfect yesterday, but it was, it was good. I, I, I liked it. Well, I look forward to sampling your next one. That'll be good. Yes. You know, one of the things that we work very hard on in this podcast is not to become too political, especially moving from one side to the other, but politics, it, it is an important topic. And so while we work uh, uh, in a diligent way not to promote a candidate or a party, uh, we do encourage people to be involved. And that's what today's guest is all about. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. I, we we hope that uh, over the course of this interview, um, you just hear um, questions that are presented to our guests today that we can just talk about uh, and and hopefully form our own opinions on. But we wanted to bring you um, this this really great interview. And, and I am 
really, really pumped about today's guest. Uh, today, we're talking to Justin Gibbony. Justin is an attorney and a political strategist in Atlanta, Georgia. He is also the co-founder and president of the AND Campaign, which is a coalition of urban Christians who are determined to address the socio-political arena with the compassion and conviction of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Justin has managed successful campaigns for elected officials in the state and referendums relating to the city's transportation and water infrastructure. In 2012 and 2016, Georgia's 5th Congressional District elected him as a delegate for the Democratic National Convention, and he served as the co-chair of Obama for America's Gen 44 Atlanta Initiative. A former Vanderbilt University football player and law student, Justin serves on the Urban League of Greater Atlanta Board of Directors. Additionally, Justin has participated in Lead Atlanta, Outstanding Atlanta, and the Georgia Bar Association's Leadership Academy. He's written op-eds for publications such as Christianity Today and The Hill. He and his wife, Summer, live in Atlanta, Georgia with their three sons, Cooper, Chase, and Crew Isaiah. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, Jacob. Thanks for having me. Well, we are so glad to have you here, Justin, and uh, both of us enjoy your podcast and uh, that you all do, and it's just fabulous. Uh, maybe for our listeners that are not familiar with you, tell us more about growing up, where you went to school, and how you got involved in politics. Sure. So I grew up uh, in Denver, Colorado. Uh, my mother's a PK, so I grew up in the church, went to Vanderbilt University on a football scholarship. Uh, there I studied uh, social policy and philosophy uh, and then went to Vanderbilt Law School. After law school, I got a job in uh, Atlanta. And that's kind of where um, the political side of things happened. I, I had a group of friends that would all, always come together and we would talk about politics or sports. And then one day I said, well, why are we just being so academic about this conversation? We, we should actually get into the game. I mean, we're of age. Why not do it? And so we ended up there was a mayoral race coming up probably a, a year and a half from from that moment. And uh, we ended up doing our research. We wrote memos on the candidates. And there was a candidate who was a state senator that uh, really stuck out to us. And we pretty much just went to the campaign and said, how can we help? And so every day after I got off work. I would go to the campaign office, spent most of my weekends working on that campaign and just really gave me a, a close up view of what politics was all about and kind of um, fell in love with it in, in good ways and in bad ways and uh, started getting into politics from there. What were some of the positions that you held uh, throughout your political career? So, I mean, mostly campaign managers. So I've, I've managed campaigns, um, like you said earlier, for a referenda for for can, for candidates from for the school board. I've been on campaigns um, for transportation uh, uh, referendums, um, state state campaigns for you know state house, state senate, all that stuff, um, city council, um, but mostly a campaign manager or you know doing field work. Of of all those races, uh, it's pretty uh, diverse uh, group of races. Which one was the toughest? Well, I took some tough losses. There was a big uh, regional uh, referendum for transportation in Atlanta, um, and it was uh, I think it was five counties, and you know we spent you know over a year working <laughs> trying to get that passed, and it didn't pass. So that that really hurt. I had to step back and kind of reevaluate whether I wanted to be in politics after that because it was just so. It was emotional. We needed the transport. You know, we needed to get our, a better transportation system, especially for the poor folks who live in Atlanta. And so when that failed, it was uh, disheartening, but eventually got over and over it and kept fighting. 
Now, you've played football. What's tougher, the morning after a loss on the gridiron or the morning after a loss on the political trail? Ooh, that's a good one, man. They're, they're close to the same. And in fact, I actually got into politics, I think. I don't think it was the right reason, but I kind of got into politics because I missed the kind of competitive uh, nature of football. Uh, I had played since I was like eight, and then to wake up and never play again was was a lot for me. And so I think I, I started playing uh, – I started getting into politics in part for that reason. And they're both really bad, man. I mean, I think today, I think the political, the political loss would, would, would feel worse sometimes, but I, I think for both, you got to keep them in perspective. Neither of them are ultimate. And I think as I've grown, uh, the pain of, of both those have lessened. Some of our listeners may not be familiar with the and campaign. Uh, tell us more, tell us how it got started, how you got involved with it and, uh, the, the whole purpose of the and campaign. Yeah, sure. The, the, the AND campaign is a Christian civic organization that's really trying to, number one, help raise civic literacy among Christians. And so we want Christians to understand the political process better so we can engage more effectively, but also help Christians apply their values to the most pressing issues of the day. And part of that means being able to reframe some of the issues and some of the questions that confront us. We really think that it's unfortunate that there's this false dichotomy in politics where the people who claim, you know, the people who care about justice, Christians who care about justice, they go to the left. And when they go to the left, a lot of times you have to kind of surrender some of your Christian convictions. And then folks who say they care about morality and those moral issues go to the right. Uh, and, and when you go to the right, sometimes we, we think that that compromises uh, at times your compassion. But the truth of the matter is that the gospel talks about compassion and conviction, love and truth. Uh, justice and moral order. And so the and campaign literally means that we're not going to make we're not going to be a part of that false dilemma, that we're actually going to combine those things that we think justice and um, moral order go together, that love and truth go together and that that's what the Christian witness should be about. So we're really trying to tell Christians that it's fine to be in a political party if you would like, but your political affiliation shouldn't be religious in nature. Your values, your Christian values should drive your politics more than your ideological tribe or your party. And so that's really what we're about. We're trying to get Christians from both sides of the aisle to focus on the things that we agree on. Um, And we think there is a framework for Christian engagement that allows us to disagree. But when it comes to the sanctity of life, when it comes to how we treat the poor, religious liberty and criminal justice, we should have a lot of agreement because we, you know, we worship the same God and we, we believe in the same Bible. So that should be enough. You know, Justin, I became familiar with uh, your group uh, through, well, honestly, probably through social media. And then after y'all released your book, Compassionate Conviction, man, I I would be honest with you and and I would tell you, and you could probably ask some of my close friends, uh, that has absolutely changed how I view politics. Uh, I I hope for the better. I think for the better. Uh, But I mean, it, it truly has because uh, also, you know, personally speaking, uh, my son three years ago became special needs uh, through a severe illness. And my wife and I's life was turned upside down. And we live in the state of Texas and the state of Texas does not do a great job. I don't care if you're right or left here, it does not do a great job of taking care of special needs, uh, uh, children and adults. It's, it's frankly pathetic. And so um, it is really both of those things, your book, my son, everything is kind of uh, jarring me politically. Uh, and then this environment we're in, and I consider myself politically educated. And so I, I want to ne- spend the next few minutes of the interview really kind of asking some tough questions and let us as a group dissect that so our listeners um, can really kind of, um, in, a, in a 
quick nutshell, understand where your book's coming from and maybe honestly go and buy the book too. But one of the things you talk about on your podcast and your book is the danger of being a one issue voter. And I know I have a lot of friends that say, hey, listen, I don't like Donald Trump, but I'm voting because of pro-life and that's it. I don't care about anything else. And I have friends on the other side that have their issues as well. Uh, Speak to us about why you feel there is a danger about just being a one issue voter. Yeah. uh, You know, I call it one dimensional politics. Uh, And so I don't have a problem with people prioritizing an issue. I think at some point we do have to prioritize issues. The problem becomes when we put one issue in a vacuum and when we put that one issue in a vacuum, we don't give full consideration or full examination of a lot of other issues. So, for instance, for some people, that issue might be abortion. Now, although I'm a Democrat, I'm not one of the people who will underplay or say abortion isn't a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's tragic. And my side of the aisle has done a very irresponsible job of dealing with it. And I think that needs to change. And I push for it to change. However, I do think it's problematic when, again, we put that in a vacuum and we don't pay attention to some of the other issues that actually play a part in the abortion conversation. Are we paying attention to maternal mortality rates and how healthcare plays a part in maybe women being in crisis pregnancies and thinking that's the best option for them? In order to consider all those things, you have to look outside of that one issue. You can't put it into a vacuum. But it doesn't just happen on the right. It happens on the left. I have some friends and I've caught myself in this position, too, who put race into a vacuum, who have one dimensional politics when it comes to that issue. And although I think it's a very important issue and I I would hope that people on the right would pay more attention, it's not the only issue. And there are other issues that play a part in that. And so I can't only focus on that at the exclusion of all the other issues that are out there. I think one dimensional politics, not only you know, does it hurt us uh, when we're trying to focus on that one issue because we're not paying attention to other things, but it hurts our credibility. So when someone doesn't care to have anything to say about racial injustice or any of the history of that, and then they come to me and they talk about their one issue, which might be abortion, well, I'm less likely to listen because they didn't even give my, my issue a, a, a hearing. And so that's what we need to think about. We need to pay attention to other people's issues as well. Uh, and that way we can have a, a more full kind of public witness that realizes that this is a complex um, uh, chess game and that we need to be open to hearing other people's perspectives. Yeah. You know, I I, I think on one of y'all's episodes, you, you talk about um, or maybe it was Michael. Um, you know, let's take me, for example, I'm, I'm going to throw uh, me out there. Uh, I vote for candidates. If, if I became a, a just I'm just a pro-life voter. That's all I care about. I vote for candidates that I turn around and now I look at uh, it as it relates to to my family and my situation, my son. And I go, man, those are the individuals that are hurting me the most uh, when it comes to caring for uh, special needs kids. And so I think that I think that's a, a very wise way of saying, let's pull back a little bit because I may actually elect somebody uh, on this one issue. But then at the greater uh, good of, of other issues, they're actually doing more harm than good. So I, I, I do like that take. I just got off of uh, a conference call and some of the data that was presented is that there's never been a presidential race, perhaps as polarized over one issue items. Um, and those issues, uh, if, if, if you're over in the Democratic side, healthcare is very important. Race relations is very important. Climate change, very important. Over on the Republican side, guns, crime, abortion, immigration. Uh, but also, we've got COVID. 
and COVID has become a political issue. Healthcare, the industry that I've spent more than 30 years of my life, should never have become a political issue and has become a political issue. And, and so this one issue voting uh, does get a, a little troublesome or scary, depending on how you may want to view it. So, for instance, uh, Jacob mentioned tough questions. Uh, let's take this one. If I'm a pro-life, how do I justify voting for Joe Biden? Or if I care so deeply about our climate change, how do I justify voting for Donald Trump? Yeah, good questions. I think you have to look at the whole of the issues that they, that they're talking about. So let's let's talk about. Um, and and I'm not coming here to tell people who to vote for. Please vote. Sure. Please vote. But vote right. for who you want to. So I don't I want this to sound like I'm representing one candidate. But let's say that a Christian wants to vote for Joe Biden. I think you, you have to you have to keep in mind that that there are a lot of other issues at play and that one vote isn't the whole of your public witness either. Right. And so I think you do have to look at a list of priorities that you may have, which should just be more, more than just one thing and say who represents best on this list of things. Where does leadership and character play into this conversation? Because when we vote for someone just because of the policy, we miss the we miss something that is the culture and, uh, and the loss of credibility within the culture. And I think that's one thing that's that's happened to some Christians is because we were just focused on the policy. We let a lot of other things slide, which hurt our credibility on a lot of other issues. So there are a lot of people who just won't, you know, just won't want to work with others on the other side because they don't think they have credibility to even hear their argument or, ha or to have standing. And so your public witness, again, is bigger than one issue. It's bigger uh, than one vote. Uh, the Bible is not just a commentary on uh, abortion. The Bible is not just a commentary on, on racism. Right. It has something to say about both of those, I believe. But it has a lot of other things to say about partiality in the courts, about how the, the poor are treated. And the way that I see the, the prophets talking about how you treat the poor and talking about justice mean it means it has to be something that we consider when we're voting. And so I would just do the best you could to to prioritize a a larger number of issues and come to the best decision that you can, knowing that your that your public witness is bigger than that one vote. And then keeping the person accountable who, who you vote for if they if they do win. You know, I I look at this year, uh, and I think at the end of the day, what scares me the most is that I I don't care who who I mean I do care uh, because the issues of our country I care how, what the results are, but I, I my heart breaks because I feel like at the end of this election cycle, Christians. Uh, I feel like we've kind of hurt ourselves uh, in, in a lot of different ways on both sides of the aisle. I think we've hurt ourselves. Uh, let's talk about that for a second. Uh, do you think Christians have hurt themselves uh, because we can't pull back and 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 hold Donald Trump accountable for for moral issues and, and things that we don't agree with? And, and the same for Joe Biden. Uh, you know, I don't we're not taking sides here. Uh, but do you think we've hurt ourselves because we can't pull back for a second and say, you know what? Everybody's got flaws. Uh, let's talk about the issues uh, rather than just just digging our heels in and, and, and saying this is my guy, like it or not. Yes, we have hurt ourselves because we are willing to defend uh, our political tribes and our parties, even when the facts are, are against us. E you know, we, we have hurt ourselves because we are protecting partisan narratives that in part are fictional. And so we lose credibility because we're protecting those things instead of, instead of saying, yeah, that's who I voted for. But because I voted for that person, I even have more of a responsibility to hold them accountable. What we say is we try to 
defend them because what we're really trying to do is is justify ourselves. And so once we vote for somebody, we want to look faultless. And so we decide that we're going to defend everything they do or defend everything our party does. And we have lost credibility as we should have because of that. Instead of saying, look, I may have voted for the Democrat or the Republican, but when they do something wrong, you're not going to hear me defending it. In fact, I'm going to be one of the main people that are trying to correct it and challenge my party or that particular um, elected official to to do better. Justin, give us some advice as Christians. How do we respond to those that are they believe something different than we do. And I don't know that there's ever been a time in which I've been alive where we've seen these strong beliefs where people are just digging in their heels on some of these certain issues. And, and we, we, we work together, we go to church together, we worship together. And, and yet there's a huge difference of opinion when we encounter and we're engaging that conversation as a Christian how do we handle that when someone just says something that we just totally disagree with? What advice do you have for us? Try to understand why they're saying it. Uh, people have testimonies, people have experiences, and sometimes you have no idea why they're disagreeing with you on, on something. And so I think we need to take the time not automatically to debate or to, to bring some counterpoint, but just to try to understand why they say what they're saying. Another you know thing that I try to do in these conversations with people I may disagree with is affirm what you can affirm about what they're saying, right? If so, there's a, if there's certain things that you can say, you know what, you guys get that right and my side actually gets that wrong, sometimes that can diffuse the conversation because too often what we do in these conversations about race or just about politics is both sides are trying to come out of the conversation looking faultless and therefore no real conversation happens because everybody's trying to defend these narratives that again, many much of the narrative is actually fiction. And that's not how Christians should come into a conversation. I think we have to come into conversations with more humility. Um, very few people uh, who are talking to Jesus in the Bible walked away with their narrative intact. And we have to be willing to walk away with our narrative kind of dismantled if that means winning a brother or sister or understanding uh, where they're coming from. And I think it's just a matter of posture, a posture of self-examination. Instead of kind of that 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 posture of self defense that we so often walk into those conversations with, Justin, what solid advice! Uh, how many issues do we know that could really be resolved if we simply just tried to better understand where uh, our friends are coming from sometimes, and just by listening rather than trying to be insistent upon making our point? Uh, great, great commentary. You know, we want to talk a little bit too about the role of the church, <clears throat> and um, I'm I'm one of those that believe that as the body of Christ in America, we began to neglect our duties in the 1900s, and especially you get to the 1950s and 1960s, where we just kind of yielded to the government and kind of gave them the responsibility. I don't know that we purposefully woke up one day and and said we were going to do that. But as far as taking care of of the people around us that are marginalized, uh, taking care of orphans, taking care of those people that are in need, whether it's in health care or food or clothing or those kinds of things. And we've just said, that's the responsibility of the government. Tell me your thoughts about that. And um, and have have we as the church neglected some of our duties? 
Yeah, I would like to see the church do more. I mean, um, I'm coming probably from a different context on this conversation. So coming from kind of the African-American tradition and, and that history, understanding that in many cases, the only way that we were going to get support or help if it, is, if, is if it was coming from the government, uh, because we, di- we just didn't have the resources ourselves. We were never allowed to kind of get the resources or obtain the resources to take care of ourselves as a church. So my perspective is a little different. Uh, but what you will find is that even those people who have had to kind of de- depend on the government to some extent know the uh, inefficiencies of the government. And so if, if there was another place to get it, I think they would rather have to uh, deal with um, mediating institutions. And so I would love to see mediating institutions like the church step up and do more but until that happens, I do understand why people who are in really tough situations, especially um, minority groups who have who have really been marginalized, do have that, you know, do have a level of I don't want to necessarily just say dependency, but there is a, a um, reasons why we have to work with government more than maybe we would like to. And until you know the church steps up, I, it's hard to see that changing. So that's it. That's good. So kind of dovetailing off of that, let's take it a little bit further. You know, I, I get tired of listening uh, to to Christians uh, complain about where the world is headed. One, I think uh, any Christian that wakes up and, and says uh, the world's in a bad place. First off, we haven't read scripture and, and newsflash. It's going to continue to be a, a bad place uh, until Jesus comes back. So sorry to bust that bubble. But uh, every, every, you know, the world's just heading a bad place. I can't believe that person got elected. Where, what's America, uh, you know, becoming, what would you say to those Christians? And, and I, cause I come from the, the school of thought of, Hey, well, let's get in the arena. Then if, if we're going to complain, I'd rather get in the game, uh, and, and do something about it. Uh, what are, what are those steps that you would take? Uh, if you're, if you're talking to somebody like me that has issues, uh, that they care about, what's the best way to get involved and get in the game? Yeah. The first thing I would have to tell people that feel that way is that that politics isn't an ultimate thing, Uh, that it's very important that you should vote that for a Christian not to kind of use their 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 civic uh, abilities is, I think, uh, is kind of squandering a a really big opportunity. But the best way to get engaged is to get engaged through institutions. And too often people feel kind of helpless and that they can't change anything because they're taking on politics as as an individual endeavor. And politics, as, as Michael Ware often says, is not an individual endeavor. It's something that we need to do in community. It's something that we need to do through institutions. And that's really what the AND campaign is trying to provide Christians on ramps to get engaged in a real way and have a real impact in your community. Uh, and, and so that's that's important. A lot of times the other thing that I would mention is when we think about politics and we feel hopeless about it, it's because we're only looking at the national level. And there's so many things you can do, so much that you can accomplish on a state and local level that if you look there, there are some wins that you can get and an impact that you can have that will make you feel a little bit better about what's going on. But again, we have to see politics differently. And this is why the AND campaign is trying to bring about kind of a paradigm shift in how Christians see politics, because so many of the ways we see it are unhealthy. And that's the reason that we feel either hopeless or cynical. And there's reasons for hope, uh, especially when we're we're doing this in community with other believers. You know, I, I uh, after the presidential debate a couple uh, weeks ago, and um, we, we won't dovetail to that. There's not enough time. But, uh, you know, there were issues on both sides. I had a buddy uh, I was in a meeting with and he, he summed up the best. You know, your comment about politics not being ultimate. He got, he, he got in the meeting. I said, well, what did you think about last night? He goes, you know, I woke up this morning and I thought to myself, man, I'm really glad I have hope in Jesus uh, because if that was my hope on stage, 
uh, I've got, we've got bigger issues. And so I think that's, it's good to keep that perspective. You know, I don't think that there has ever been a time when we've seen more voter engagement. Uh, this episode we've structured so that it's going to air the week before the election. But as we record this week in the middle of October, it's very interesting that four years ago at this time, only 3 million voters had cast their vote, their votes as early voters. Today, 16 million, as of this morning, the latest count, are early voters. And so <clears throat> we've often complained that people are not engaged, they're not interested. We could see maybe 150 million people vote in this presidential election, which will be exciting. But Justin, on both sides, uh, there are those that are going to be really disappointed if Donald Trump wins. There are going to be many people disappointed if Joe Biden wins. As a Christian, regardless of which side of the fence we're on, when we wake up the next morning, and it's probably not even going to be the next morning that we'll know in this particular election, but if our candidate didn't win, how should we respond? I think we should say a prayer. <laughs> we we should uh, you know, realize again that this isn't an ultimate thing, but that we do have work to do. And that that's even if our candidate does win. What I want people to know, especially when you're talking about a presidential election, it, it's never really a victory in and of itself on that day because they haven't done anything yet. And you're not exactly sure what they are going to do. So if we're too celebratory and thinking that we've won something huge and they could get in and not do any of the things that you wanted them to do or, or you know, take a, a complete different agenda. So the work is still to be done. And then for those people that lost, keep working, keep working on a local level and then understand that sometimes politicians change their minds. So continue to advocate. One of the things that I've been saying is, you know, after November 4th or however long that it, it takes, the unborn are still going to need advocates. The, the uninsured are still going to need advocates. These people who you are who are depending on us to speak for them are still going to need us to be hopeful and sober and as effective as we can be. So we can't give up because I think sometimes we think elections have consequences. Don't get me wrong. But they're not ultimate and there's still a lot of uh, game to be played, so to speak, to get things done and to get and to push these folks to go the right way. That's great. Justin, uh, I'd be remiss if, if we had this whole episode and I didn't take an opportunity to talk to you about social justice and, and the, the movement that we're seeing in our country right now. Uh, and so I want to I want to approach this question uh, humbly and, and really just ask your opinion. Uh, you know, in, in watching the news, this is how I feel. If I'm watching the news, I'm either Black Lives Matter or I'm either Blue Lives Matter. I'm either for protest uh, or I am for law and order. Uh, how is a Christian should I approach this? Uh, because many, uh, I think, believers probably believe strongly in, in, in both of those things. I think both can exist, right? Um, and then how is a white Christian, uh, should I approach this and not be misunderstood? Yeah, that's a heavy question. And, and one I wish that we we had, you know, that was framed better kind of in mainstream media, the, the way that you talked about it. I think we have to, number one, get away from the narratives, the ideological narratives that we push so hard. And I wrote about this in The Hill maybe uh, just over a month ago. We have to be honest about what's going on. We have to be honest that we live in a country that for, for hundreds of years used race against people, that used race to discriminate against people. And some of that stuff still lingers. And so when you see how uh, George Floyd was treated, you know, would that happen to a white woman that that maybe did the same thing? Would 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 she have died over that um, 
that that twenty dollar bill? Probably not. And we have to ask why that's the case. So I think we have to be open to police reform. Are there ways or in certain situations where the police shouldn't be the ones that are responding to certain things that way that it doesn't escalate? I think there's something there. But then again, on the left, you know, we can't act like there aren't bad actors. We can't act like that if, you know, the the only problem is the is the police officers. And if they were somehow out of the way, our communities would just be perfect. That is not true. It's fiction. That's a, a bad narrative. And if you go to many of these communities uh, and, and these low income communities and you you ask the people if they want police around, they do. They just want the police to, to some of the police officers to treat them a little bit better. Um, and so it's a very nuanced conversation. And if we run with a narrative from one ideological tribe or the other, we really can miss the reality of what's going on. So as Christians, I think we have to apply, again, the compassion and conviction of the gospel. We have to have justice. We can't have law and order and not combine that with justice. That's how you end up with George Floyd. But we also can't have a a form of justice that doesn't have that doesn't value order. That's what you saw in Portland. That's what you saw in Seattle. It was this idea of social justice that had no understanding of what order was about. And we have a God of justice and a God of order. And we have to find a way to put those things together and apply it to the facts of the day. But we will not do that if we're um, so connected to these ideological tribes that we're just going to take that narrative and, and stand next to it, even when it's been proven false. Justin, you have such a, a, a neat perspective of so many of the issues, and you're close to many of them. What do you think is the church's responsibility? What more should we be doing um, as the body of Christianity in our country about the issue of social justice? I think the church should be leading. And I think one of the ways the church, uh, and especially the majority church in some instances, has made a mistake when it comes to justice is because they've rightly identified that there are some distorted versions of justice out there in society. That's true. I don't I don't fight against that. Everything that's called social justice, I don't adhere to or recommend. Um, But what does that mean? Does that mean we run away from justice just because there may be some Marxists somewhere out there? Does that mean we don't do justice at all? I think that's the completely wrong reaction. I think the right reaction would be to put a better example out there to show people what biblical justice really looked like when applied to social and racial issues. That's really the answer. And so I think we need to be a lot more loud about what the Bible has to say about racial justice and social justice and put a better example, a biblical example out there for people to see. Because especially when it comes to our young people, they're going to search for a concept of justice. We can sit back and let them get it from secular sources or we can provide them with the one that's actually in the Bible when you read through the prophets and and through the gospel. And I think that has to be our reaction rather than sitting back and complaining about how other people do do justice. During this year, during uh, COVID, I think it's probably brought to light more than any other election season. Uh and people have clung to it, this idea that uh, if one or the other uh, parties gets in power, uh, we as a, a church are going to lose all of our rights and, and churches are going to be shut down and, and the narrative can just go out of control. Right. But, but part of that, it stems from uh, lockdowns that we've had during COVID. And we have seen church, some church leaders in this country say that they are going to continue to assemble, even when the state says that you're not really allowed to assemble. How are we as a body uh, supposed to navigate religious freedom, uh, which I believe in, 
and respect for government, which I also believe in. I also think that's scripturally sound. But how do we navigate that and not lose our way uh, uh, during these times? Yeah, we have to have a level of discernment. And I think something that happens really on both sides is that we've become so polarized that we think everything the other side does is either to control us, to harm us or to trick us. And when you think everything that they do is to harm you or to trick you or to control you, then you're automatically going to overreact to every single thing. And so I think we need to have the discernment to say, what are reasonable precautions that need to be taken? And when and when when should we draw the line to say, OK, you're going too far now, you are trying to impact you know, the church and, and, and kind of a bridge uh, religious freedom. But it's, it's not necessarily a bright line rule, but it is about being discerning and having real conversations and not having an opposition centered public witness where everything we do is really a reaction to them to say, hey, I'm going to defy you and defy everything you say because it has to be in bad faith. Not everything the other side does is in bad faith. And when we take it that way, I think it, it brings us into a really into absurdity very quickly. Uh, and so, so, so again, it's just about being thoughtful and saying, you know what, at the end of the day, other people are going to have issues with our religion. It, there may be come a, come a time where there is a, a persecution here. I don't, I don't think we're at that moment yet. There may be some polite persecution, but no bloody persecution, but we have to have the faith to know we're going to get through it, uh, to know that regardless of what comes, we cannot allow, allow our opposition to have a negative impact on our spirit. And so we have to watch how we respond to other people. I don't know that it's a bright line, but it's something that we have to be thoughtful about and make sure that we're centered more so around the gospel than reacting to what our opposition is doing. Very good. Very good stuff. Justin, before we head into our rapid fire questions, any other words, uh, especially those of encouragement about our political future in America? Yeah, I would just say this. Um, there are a lot of opportunities for Christians to come together. One of the things we're missing in, a, in the public square right now is common ground. But listen, we have the same great commandment. We have the same great commission. We worship the same Lord. Christians, regardless of what party you're in, have a lot of common ground. If we would come together and emphasize that common ground, we could get a lot done because as I think God would have it, there's a critical mass of Christians on the right and a critical mass of Christians on the left who are biblical, who have a high Christology, a high view of scripture. And if we come together, if we came together, we could really make a change. And I think we just need to make the efforts to do that. Wow. Words of encouragement from Justin. Hey, uh, one of the things we like to do is get to know our guests just a little bit better through our rapid fire questions. And uh, Jacob's got the first one for you. All right, Justin. Best and worst advice you've ever been given? Best and worst advice. I say the worst advice that I got was from a mentor who was great, but this was just bad advice. It was basically like, you know, you have to read the tea leaves. And once public opinion changes, you got to make sure that you're, you're, you're ahead of public opinion. I actually tried not to do the opposite, but that's something that I never have followed. Uh, so that's probably the worst advice. The best advice I've gotten uh, was from another mentor who told me you have to always have your core. Before you go into a situation, before you get into a partnership, know who you are, know what you will do and what you will never do. Uh, and I think that's been key to me, uh, key for me throughout my political career. Good advice. Hey, Justin, who are some of the most influential people in your life? 
Yeah, I would say my 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 grandfather, who has passed away, was extremely influential. Uh, my father, who was always into kind of uh, philosophy, who always wanted to be an attorney, but never really got the opportunity. Uh, and that really drove me to be who I was. He was someone who coached my my football teams and and all that and really pushed me to um, to excel and to take seriously when I get into to an, an endeavor and to do it, do it um, thoroughly. Love it. Love it. What big events have taken place in your life over the past year? Ooh, um, I mean, the and campaign has, has really grown. I've had opportunities to speak to uh, organizations and um, audiences that I would never would have been able to speak to before. I got to speak at the U.S. Senate uh, to the uh, Council of Christian Colleges and Universities, all their presidents. And that was a big moment for me. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say that that one was probably the biggest this year. Justin, when was the last time that you took a risk and how did it all work out for you? Hmm. I took a risk with the Ann campaign. I mean, that's probably the biggest one of the biggest risks I took in my life. I kind of left where I was politically uh, to follow what God ha- had for me and uh, haven't regretted it one minute. That's great. Best or most meaningful place you have ever visited? Wow. Um, most meaningful place. You know, this is sound weird, but my mother's hometown, she's from a small town called Decatur, Illinois, in central uh, Illinois. And there's just so much of my roots and family are there that every time I go there, it's just amazing. So it's not in some other country or something like that, but it's just special, a special place for me. Love it. Uh, Middle America. No question about it. That's right. Uh, Justin, you mentioned your dad and your granddad. Uh, tell us about something that you uh, learned from your mom or your dad. Well, I'll go with my mom on this one. Um, early on in life, you know, my mom was always somebody to stand up and things would happen at school. Uh, you know, if someone got mistreated or something like that, she would always say something. And one day she told me that she did that not just for me. But for the kids who didn't have somebody to stand up for, um, that people would think twice about mis- mistreating people if they knew that somebody would stand up. And I think that's always been a, a big one for me. Wow. Well, she was ahead of her time focusing on this anti-bullying stuff. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. This is one of my favorites. Uh, best and worst job you've ever had. Ooh. Okay. Um, worst job. I haven't really had a whole lot of bad jobs, uh, to be honest with you. Um, you guys are getting me with this. You, you <laughs> stumped me on this. The, the worst job I've had. I mean, I had a job at like, a, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a job. At, <laughs> I feel like it clicked. And it was work- like, oh, I remember now. Oh, yeah, I think I was working at Marshall's or something like that. And it was just like it was the most disorganized store that I had ever. I mean, it was just bad. So stuff was all over the floors. And at night it was just a, a huge headache. Best job. Um, I really enjoyed when I worked at. The, I, I love my job now, but outside of that, I really enjoyed when I worked at the uh, Atlanta Development Authority, just being able to get in the community. And when we made decisions and tried to do things, seeing the results and how it helped people in the community. Justin, what book is on your nightstand? What are you reading right now? I am reading a book called King of Kings about Holly Selassie. Um, right now, which is a really interesting book, who is an Orthodox Christian and and somebody you, we don't hear talked about a lot in Christian circles, but cer- certainly an interesting leader that um, 
did did a lot of things for his country. All right, Justin. In addition to the Bible, what is the best book you have ever read? Um, I would have to put up there uh, uh, Orthodoxy by G.K. Chesterton. I mean, that was just one. I think it was the moment when it came to me. It just has really kind of informed me and been helpful. And what's next for you? What do you see in the future for Justin? Hopefully just continuing to work with the AND campaign and, and grow the AND campaign and helping Christians again to kind of have a paradigm shift in how we think about politics and hopefully to bring biblical Christians together to um, advocate on issues in a way that we haven't before. Well, Justin, I can't thank you enough for taking time to chat with us today. I've been looking forward to this interview for a few months now, and uh, it means a lot that you took time to sit down with us and discuss some of these important topics. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. And to our guests, we will put the link uh, to Justin's book in our show notes. Please go check that out. We'll also link all of his social media accounts and the AND campaign. And as a reminder to our listeners, we do not use this podcast to promote any political party or candidate. But as Justin said, please, please go out and vote. Thanks for tuning in today. Make sure you subscribe and follow along on our Instagram account. Until next time, keep chasing what matters.